Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Thank you for listening to the late-breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome. This is the late-breaking Formula One podcast, reviewing the Russian Grand Prix, a Grand Prix in which Mercedes managed to maintain their 100% record at the circuit. Sam, you're joining me today. I'm Ben Hocking. What did you think of the race? Well, we were just discussing this before recording, that Russia is a very much a binnable race. We like, would love to see it off the calendar, but as Russia goes, this wasn't too bad. Now, I feel like this wasn't Russia's choice uh, it wasn't russia russia was not the reason why this was a good grand prix that solely comes down to the absolute political debate that has become ferrari but uh it provided an interesting couple of hours on a sunday afternoon i i, I wasn't annoyed that i had to sit there and watch it because we've had some real dullard races come through at russia and this this was not one of them it is definitely the best russia we've had then your thoughts on the race happy with it yeah, I think for Russia's standards, it was a good race. For any other race's standards, perhaps not so much. But yeah, we've come to expect it from the Grand Prix. And looking at a Mercedes 1-2, if it was a Mercedes 1-2 earlier on in the year, we might have been seeing it as a bit more of a boring spectacle. But there was at least, um, it was more unexpected than any other Mercedes 1-2 we've had this year. So there was that. Uh, but of course, before Mercedes won this race, P1 and P2, it was Sebastian Vettel who was leading the way after getting a cracking start uh, from P3 on the grid and leading the way in the early part of the race. Of course, he did retire with an MGUK issue. Sam, do you feel sorry for how Vettel's race ended? Do you think he deserved to win? I think any driver that retires with a straight engine issue, reliability issue that is entirely not their own fault, you have to feel a bit sorry for. I mean, it's not their fault. They're drivers. They want to push that car and they want to win the race. Sebastian Vettel found his form again in Singapore. And my God, did he look quick in Russia. Charles Leclerc, the golden boy in Ferrari, was being obliterated lap after lap after lap by Sebastian Vettel. He's uh, the master of Ferrari, should we say, the, uh, the teacher to his Padawan. Um, Vettel was doing a fantastic job. And I think... They already messed up the strategy, so I don't know if he could have won the race. I mean, it would have been a good fight to the end. I'd love to have seen it. But in the first half of that race, it was entirely Vettel's. And I feel sad that we didn't get to see it 
come to a, a climax during the later stages of that race. So, yeah, I'm a bit gutted, not just for Vettel, but for the entire spectacle of the race. I feel like it really could have been fun come the last 10, 15 laps if Vettel was still about. So it's a real shame to have lost him. Yeah, and I think actually, even though he won in Singapore and, of course, didn't get the opportunity to fight for the win here in Russia, I think his race pace in the early part of this Grand Prix was actually better than any point in Singapore. He was looking really quick. And like you say, he was he was leaving Leclerc for dead. He Leclerc was a good few seconds behind. Um, and of course, you can argue dirty air within sort of one second or so, but there was no point where Leclerc had DRS. Of course, he was pretty much consistently in the DRS of Bottas late in the race. So there's no reason why as to that he should have been able to do the same thing with Vettel early on in the race. I, I think Vettel had a really good performance here and the last couple of races have been a big confidence booster for him. I have to say, I, I feel sorry for him to a degree, but um, DNFs are a part of Formula One. There's nothing that can be done about that. And I don't think his reaction to retiring was all that mature. Um, of course, you know, a few seconds after retiring, you, the blood's going to be boiling. I understand that. But the whole calling for v12s was just it was nonsensical and I, I just didn't even if he does think that v12 should return there is a case for that i understand it but his retirement had nothing to do with the v12s or whether we're running v6 hybrids this is his first retirement for a mechanical issue since japan 2017 in nearly two years oh yeah for a mechanical issue sorry i thought you were saying yeah, this. yeah. His yeah, last time was Hockenheim, but his last, yeah, it was spark plug issue back in Japan two years ago. That was his last retirement for a mechanical issue, and he he's had he's been blessed with good retirement, whereas other teams have had up to you know ten retirements a year. So I really don't feel so sorry for Vettel in that respect. I do feel sorry for him because he was racing well, and I think he deserved that win. And his driver of the day that he earned from the fans, I think that was well earned. But um, yeah, uh, it. DNFs are a part of Formula One. I, I think the V12 comment was a was a little out of line, but yeah, all in all, great race. Unfortunate for him. Speaking more on the strategy, of course, Leclerc and Vettel. That was the big makeup of the first half of the race as to where they would work themselves out. Uh, Leclerc, a little bit of noise over the radio again. What did you think of how the whole situation developed? Well, we'll just talk about whether we feel sorry for Sebastian Vettel or not. I'll tell you who I don't feel sorry for. Charles Leclerc. He he got beaten fair and square down to turn two, which actually is turn one. Turn one is just a little bit of a weird curve. Um, they also had this odd strategy that Leclerc would try and give Vettel the toe so they would be able to jump in the same. In theory, works brilliantly. Vettel's start was so impressively good off the line. He was going to have Leclerc regardless of whether... Um, you know, that the slipstream was given to him or not. So he moaned and he moaned and he moaned throughout the race. You know, let's swap, let's swap. I, I respect you guys, but let's swap. And he was nowhere to be seen. And Vettel makes that fair point of going, he needs to be closer if we're going to swap. Otherwise, we fall into the hands of the Mercedes. He's got to get closer. If he's in, you know, DRS, I'll let him swap. Fair play. I would have done anything different myself. I think Vettel makes the right call there. It comes to the pit stops. And once again, Ferrari feel the need to play the hand of God, bringing Leclerc much earlier than Sebastian Vettel. And of course, we see Vettel come out behind Charles Leclerc. I don't think that if they have pitted Vettel the lap after, we have seen Leclerc and Vettel fight again on track. I think Vettel was so much faster that Ferrari ruined their own strategy through pride of trying to favour the golden boy that is Charles Leclerc at the moment. And we, we praised them for their strategy last race. We 
absolutely praised them for it. In the preview, we said that Ferrari were doing so much better in terms of strategy calls, and Mercedes and Red Bull were slightly fluffing it. Ferrari threw out the threw out the window today. They could have had a one-two, had you know Vettel's engine carried on to the end. They ruined it for themselves. It was a poor call for them. Yes, it gave Leclerc the place back, but at what cost? It just it just was a silly call. They're once again trying to think about pleasing a driver and not about the team's drive. And that's what matters. It's the team. And now the Sagers will probably close out the championship a lot sooner than they probably could have done. I think Ferrari hurt themselves hours before the race even started. You know, the pre-race agreement that they had, I just don't understand it. So clearly they've had this discussion where they are in a 1-3 position and they want to make that a 1-2. Understandable. You know, they need to try and work out a way to get Vettel past Hamilton and to fill out the top two positions. Um, So they thought, okay, well, Slipstream is fairly powerful going down into turn two. So if Vettel can tuck in behind Leclerc, that gives them a great opportunity to then be 1-2. And Leclerc has agreed to that, and that is exactly what happened. My question is this. If Leclerc says no to that strategy, what happens? Because that slipstream is happening regardless of whether Leclerc wants it to happen or not. It's not like he is making a decision to keep Vettel behind him. P3 follows P1 through the first corner. There's there's nothing you can do about that. So Leclerc has agreed saying, yeah, sure, you know, that strategy sounds fine as long as Vettel gives the place back doesn't really matter if you say that or not he's gonna he's gonna have a great chance of getting passed because of that slipstream whether you like it or not there, there doesn't need to be a pre-race agreement for that that's one of the benefits of starting p3 one of the benefits of starting p1 is that you've got a clear track ahead of you and if you can get out ahead of everyone else you've got a clear track to work with one of the advantages of starting p3 is that you get the slipstream there are benefits and drawbacks to each and every position on the circuit on the grid there's there should be no need for any pre-race agreement for that leclerc could not have said no to that strategy because it was happening regardless um and then the only reason that they would have to switch the two after that is if Vettel uh, Vettel can't extend the gap over Leclerc and Leclerc is therefore at risk against Hamilton, which was not the case. Vettel was three and nearly four seconds ahead of Leclerc for most of you know the end of that first stint, and Hamilton was another another few seconds back again. There was there was no risk of of, of anything happening in that respect. You know, if the situation was different, then yes, I would say absolutely switch them over if it's safe to do so. But th- there was no risk at all involved. And I, I don't think Leclerc was overly bad on the team radio at all. I think he, he at least had the right to question a few things. But, you know, he he did make a poor start. He made a poor start. Vettel made a good start. Got in the slipstream. Probably would have happened even without slipstream. And Vettel, Vettel deserved to keep the lead. Um, yeah, I, I really think that there was there should be have been nothing doing. No, I completely agree. I think that um, Leclerc, yes, you're right, has the right to question it, but he's out of line to almost sit there and go, Vettel, can you can you just really slow down? Please just wait up for me. I think if they get swapped over, I reckon within a couple of laps, Vettel would have been right at the back of Leclerc again. Vettel had such immense pace over Leclerc this race. He had an incredible start. Leclerc messed up the start. It was a bad start. He didn't get off the line well in comparison to the two cars behind him. And, OK, if he kept to the right, not the left, then he may have been able to keep the position. But then Lewis Hamilton would have had the slipstream. Regardless, plan or not, like you said, Ben, someone's getting your slipstream. That's what happens when you're in P1, especially in Russia. And um, someone will have a pop at you going into P2. That's why some people have said that the, the pole position of Russia is P3, not 
not P1 because you get the best run down into turn two. As was displayed by the cars further behind, the likes of Carlos Sainz to having an absolute dreamboat of a start. And he ran a fantastic race, which we'll get onto later. But, um, you know, that just shows you how powerful it can be down there. Leclerc needs to be faster throughout the race and not moan about it going forward. He needs to assert his dominance to show that even when Vettel is on top form, Leclerc is equal to him, if not better. Yeah, and then switching the emphasis over, because for a lot of this race, it did not seem as if Mercedes were going to re- retain their 100% record at the circuit. But of course, they did end up with a 1-2, pitting both cars under the virtual safety car. Leclerc pitting slightly later under the full course safety car. But at that point, of course, Bottas could keep him behind to secure P2 ahead of Leclerc. Sam, do you think Mercedes were at all lucky to walk away with a 1-2 in this race? Uh, of course you're lucky. You, they, I mean, they deserve to be fighting for it, and they were fighting for it. Hamilton was doing a fantastic job on a harder compound of tyre, keeping in touch with Leclerc. He was only ever a maximum of three seconds behind him, and they were on a faster tyre. So Hamilton definitely deserved to be in that conversation of being on the top two uh, spots, regardless of who finished where. A VSC comes out. That happens in absolutely any race throughout the season. And that's why they started on the medium tyres. They knew that safety cars were high there. They know that VSCs are high there. And you look at statistics, you look at previous races, and you have to gauge your strategy on doing that. Ferrari are more than fast enough to qualify on the medium tyres through Q2. They could have done exactly the same thing, but they chose not to. That's poor call on Ferrari for not playing into the strategy and statistics. It's a great call from Mercedes for taking a calculated risk and using it to their advantage. You're lucky, but at the same time, they did plan for that. And that, to me, is fantastic strategic planning. So well done to Mercedes for making common sense of what's happened in the past and using it to their advantage. I feel as if this happens every single time someone wins as a result of a VSC or a safety car uh, and all the lucky comments come pouring out. And every time we have to keep on saying it's part and parcel of the strategy. Like, it's involved in it. If you stay out for however many laps more, you give yourself a greater chance of taking advantage of a safety car or a virtual safety car. Like, that's what happens. Um, yeah, I don't blame Ferrari for starting on the soft tyres. They're fully inclined to do so. Um, and there's still a greater chance of there not being a safety car than there being a safety car. But you have to understand that there is the ch- at least a chance of that happening. Um, and Mercedes just took advantage of it. Of course, they would at that point. Um, yeah, I, I think... And Ferrari were right to pit. I actually think Ferrari were right to pit under the safety car as well. Even though Leclerc did give up P2, I feel as if he might have lost out anyway with the Bottas on fresher tyres. Um, and he had to do something. He wasn't going to win if he didn't pit. There was at least a chance that he would win if he did. So I, I, I fully understand that strategy call. But yeah, VSCs, they happen. Um, and we're going to get on a little bit later to discuss whether pitting should be an option under the virtual safety car. But whilst it's a rule, you have to take advantage of that. And one thing that's kind of been neglected as well is that if there wasn't a virtual safety car or a safety car, there was still a chance that Mercedes might have won this race. You know, Mercedes were doing very well in terms of degradation. They were going to go onto the soft tyres at the end of end of the race. There is at least a chance that they would have been quick enough to 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 at least threaten the win. I don't know. Obviously, the Ferraris are very quick in a straight line, and that might have been too much for them to overcome. But there was at least the opportunity for that to happen. So Mercedes, they they do this routinely. They took advantage of the circumstances around them. 
Yeah, well, the Sega's almost championing this ulterior strategy. We saw it very well played out in Hungary. That was probably the biggest example where Lewis Hamilton came back from, what was it, nigh on 18, 19, 20 seconds behind Max Verstappen, closed the gap on those tyres after running the harder compound and passed him when Max Verstappen had nothing left to give in the last few uh, last few laps of the race. It, it works for them. They know it works for them. There is every chance if your tyres fall off the cliff just that little bit and they're running that soft compound tyre at the end of the race, the last 10, 15 laps, you can make up half a second a second sometimes even as much as two or three seconds depending on the track and they're making it work for themselves and it happened again even without the bsc even without the safety car hamilton would come out behind leclerc and vettel by about four seconds he's fast enough to make up that time that final sector on the soft tire a compound softer than what they were going to be on he could definitely close that gap and would have been a real threat towards that race whether he got both ferraris or just one we won't ever know there's every chance that he gets at least one of those ferraris and he's in the top two by the end of the race so you're right, he had to come in when the safety car came out. Leclerc did the right thing by coming in, putting on a soft set of tyres. But I do think that Mercedes' strategy this weekend was just better than Ferrari's. So moving on to driver of the day and the worst driver of the day. Sam, who have you got? Let's start positive, driver of the day. This one's quite difficult, actually, because I think for a long period of the race, it was going to be Sebastian Vettel. And the only reason I'm not going to give it to Sebastian Vettel is because I wanted to see what would happen the second half of the race. He drove a sublime race, and Sebi Vett is back on top form and I'm so excited to see him out in Japan where he usually goes very well so I'm really excited to see him go there as well on the other hand you've got Lewis Hamilton who was consistent he was strong he did exactly everything he needed to do and he dominated that race when he had the chance to so again Lewis Hamilton a strong contender but it's gonna have to be Carlos Sainz the man is an absolute missile going into turn two he jumps Valtteri Bottas he's alongside Lewis Hamilton in a McLaren I mean he then holds off for P5, all the way up until the uh, the ghost move that we saw Albon play past Science, which was never shown on the television, which is a real shame, because that would have been nice to see, race director, if you could show that in future, would have been lovely. But Science dominated the midfield. He was untouchable to everyone else other than the Red Bull drivers. And I think the only reason that he maybe fell a little bit unlucky to those guys was because of the safety car that came out. I really think that maybe P5, even a challenge for P4 if he got a little bit lucky with some strategy, could have been on the cards for him. So for me, Carlos Sainz, driver of the day, a fantastic turnout for the Brooks McLaren. He drove so well. Yeah, and also, race director, what do you have against Carlos Sainz? They yeah. never get shown. Um, <laughs> if I had to put together an elite category for the driver of the day i would have said all of the three names you said plus maybe alexander alban as well I, he did get a little lucky due to the safety car and i think signs would have got p5 if it wasn't for the safety car but i'd probably put those four above everyone else um, i'm actually going to agree with you i'm going to go with carlos signs don't blame anyone for selecting vettel or hamilton here but signs had a really good race uh for pretty much the reasons you, you said there. Great start. Um, and he was on the same strategy as Lando Norris, and he was able to preserve the tyres and preserve his position slightly better than Norris was. You know, Norris dropped a few positions at the end of the race. You know, he held on to points, but only just. Sainz was always well within that top six. So, uh, yeah, I've got to give it to Sainz here. Yes, I think he, he admitted after the race, actually, that if Albon had come just one or two laps later on, he might have had a chance of holding him off. As it turns out, it was probably safer to not fight him too hard uh, and to let him go by. Um, but yeah, it was another really good performance by Carlos Sainz. For me, he's been one of the drivers of the year. He, you know, his this return to form after his pretty average year at Renault has been great to see. So Carlos Sainz is my driver of the day. And who would you pick for your worst driver of the day? 
So again, I, I feel like I pick this person a little too often, but it's it's just it's proving why Valtteri Bottas is the wingman to Lewis Hamilton. And even though he's in second place, I feel like he is one of those people that is only there for the car. Yes, he put in a good defensive effort against Charles Leclerc on a set of tyres that were older. Charles Leclerc had older tyres. They were worn tyres. They were overheating tyres. Bottas was never, never close to the pace that Hamilton was putting in. He would never have challenged the top three had um, had the safety cars not appeared. I just feel like Bottas is in a different league. It's almost like he gets his contract given to him for another year and he goes, yeah, cool lads, cheers. I'll, uh, I'll take the paycheck and I'll see you at the start of the next season when I've got to impress again. He always comes out of the blocks firing in Australia. Nothing again here. So... The midfield were all really strong. I don't think anyone had a particularly bad race in the midfield. I mean, Gasly had a few wayward moves, so, you know, uh, not great from him. But I genuinely feel like Bottas needs to up his game for the last five races. Otherwise, if it keeps going the way it's going, Leclerc has every chance of catching Valtteri Bottas in a few races, flip the tyres between Mercedes and Ferrari, more than we were expecting. So, Bottas, you just you need to stick with your teammate. You don't need to beat him. You don't need to challenge him. You just need to be within about one to two seconds maximum to help the team when Hamilton is called upon to attack. So for me, yeah, Bottas again gets worse around the day. <laughs> I wish I could go back and count how many times he's won that award uh, <laughs> because of you, Sam. Um, I'm not going to go for Bottas. Um, I'm going to go for Lance Stroll instead. Um, the strategy, as a result of the virtual safety car, benefited Stroll rather than Perez. You know, Perez pitted before the safety car happened. Stroll started on the medium tyres, so he was given the option, you know, later on in the race to make that work. And who was the guy who finished ahead comfortably? You know, Perez was well in the points. Stroll, it was just another naff race from him, really. Um, and you really felt like Kevin Magnussen, who really he should be beating, considering the problems that the Haas car has got and considering the upgrades that Racing Point have brought recently, he should be beating him comfortably. And I think he might have beaten him because of the five-second penalty. Um, but yeah, Stroll had a real opportunity to make something work here with the likes of Sainz and Norris having, having you know, unfortunate strategies. And Stroll was just not able to battle them. There were a few contenders in this race, but for me, Stroll... and. <laughs> Another bad qualifying as well. Uh, he needs to really get his act together. I know his position within the team is secure. And I think that's in a way a bad thing for him because it's not pushing him on. Try, you know, if you have that, am I keeping my seat? Am I going to be racing for this team next year? That does at least give you something to go for it in, you know. But yeah, I, I didn't rate his performance at all. Understandable. I mean, that was the other option I was going to go for. Lance Stroll, you're right, didn't capitalise on what could have been almost a, a gifted point situation for the racing point driver. And you're right, he's he's in daddy's play zone. He's he's just too comfortable. He's sat there and can do whatever he wants. He can throw his toys out the pram or he can have a sunbathe if he wants to. He'll still have that drive in two, three, four years time because your dad's never going to kick you out of a team, is he? Not really, unless you do something really stupid. Lance Stroll has got the most comfortable driving Formula One, I would say, and he's clearly making that known. So the virtual safety car has been a big topic of this race, of course. Um, and something that Paul DeResta said on the Sky commentary was that he very adamantly believes that you should not be able to pit under the virtual safety car. Of course, it did give Mercedes the one-two today. 
Sam, do you agree with this? Do you think that the virtual safety car, the pits should be closed? No, I don't believe the pits should be closed. I think if you're allowed to pit under the safety car, you should be allowed to pit under the VSC. And the other way around, if you're not allowed to pit under the VSC, you're not allowed to pit under the safety car. I think you have to keep that rule consistent. And people love the fact that the VSC and the safety car threw up an alternate strategy. This race was made way more interesting by the fact that we were allowed to pit under safety cars. I think the race could have been a real dull affair if everyone had to stay out and then pit the next lap around or something. It almost becomes a little bit, what's the point? I mean, I get for a safety reason to get the car out of the way, but that is entirely it then. There's no other element to the race to it. You may as well get everyone to park up on the track where they are and stop and then carry on again. I mean, Paul, I get it. You're a racing driver, but I just feel like your, your point is poor. And I feel like it, we almost sound just a little bit personally attacked by a little bit bitter, you know. You can't pit under the BSC. You can, and it works. It's fun. It's interesting. It provides alternate strategies. It allows backmarkers to have a go in the points. You know, it allows people like what Stroll should have been able to do against Perez to get past him, but he didn't. It kept Magnussen in the points only by one, but it kept him in there. It was exciting. It provided more excitement to a race. It's usually really dull. So yes, I think you should be allowed to pit under both BSC and safety car because if there is one, there has to be the other. I don't think you can separate them. See, I think you can, um, because ultimately they're not there to do the same thing. The safety car, you'll see the cars obviously pile up behind the safety car and within a few seconds of one another. The virtual safety car, the the reason that it exists is to neutralise the race. Um, we don't see cars, you know, line up in single file behind a, a safety car we see them the gaps are meant to be kept exactly the same and um they're running to deltas rather than running up to pile behind this safety car so i actually don't think you should be able to pit under the virtual safety car if the point of it is to neutralize a race because if you are allowed to pit under a virtual safety car that's the opposite of neutralizing a race um if they want to change the virtual safety car, the rules of it, and if they want to change the point of it existing, then fair enough. But I, I do understand Paul DeResta's point here. Um, I, I do absolutely agree that it does throw up some interesting strategies um, and it does potentially add some excitement to races that weren't there before. Um, I think in some cases it can actually do the opposite as well. Um, that's, you know, that's that's what happens. Um, but yeah, I actually think you should be allowed to pit under a safety car and not under a virtual safety car, because I do believe that the point and the purpose of both of them are not the same and they're not aligned. But I think this is actually one that will probably split opinion. No, well, I, I, again, I disagree with you. I don't think a VSC, the point of it is to neutralise a race. I think it does neutralise a race, but I don't think the point of it is to neutralise a race. The point of it is to provide safety for any incident that's happened on the track that isn't worthy of a full-course safety car. Yes, the drivers have to run around to a delta, but the point is it to keep everyone at exactly the same point. If they were bothered at keeping everyone at exactly the same point, they wouldn't have a full-course safety car because that's why everyone bunches up. It wouldn't be the point of it. The point of it is for safety, and that is entirely the point. It's for safety. It's a virtual safety car, not a virtual keep everyone three seconds apart car. So for me, I don't care if you get to go in the pit lane. You're taking advantage of a strategy. That's what racing is. That's what being clever is. That's what we're saying is good today. And that's why it worked. I think you're right. I think people will be split on this. And I'd love to hear what you people have to think about the BSC and Paul DeResca's comments about it. Do you think it should be around? Do you think you can pit under it and, and pit under the safety car or not pit under the BSC, but pit under the safety car? It'd be really interesting to hear what people in the comments zones have to have to think on the point. Yeah, it's a really interesting one, because if it's then not to neutralise a race and it is 
that that's not the purpose of it. Do you think that it should work that the lead car acts as a pace car? I, I almost feel like there should be a speed limit put in place across the track, essentially. Um, maybe not run to a delta, but maybe run to a, you can only go above, you can't go above 80 miles an hour. And then that way your pit lane is actually still technically slower than the maximum speed limit that everyone can go on the track. You can still take most corners on most tracks around 70 to 80 miles an hour. So the gap is brought down, but it's still safe. Um, I just feel like they need to rebalance what happens within the safety car, but I still think you should have the option to pit. Moving on to some news that happened this weekend. Um, a number of years after McLaren decided to go away from Mercedes power units, they've decided to return to the company. Um, 2021 onwards, they'll be moving off of Renault. They'll be going back to Mercedes. They've done this full circle power unit thing uh, over the last six or seven years. Do you think this is a wise move, firstly from McLaren's perspective, but then also from Mercedes' perspective? This whole thing throws up a real bunch of questions that's going to happen. And I think we can answer, either answer debate or you guys in the comments can let us know what you think as well. Firstly, I understand why McLaren originally left Mercedes. They wanted to be the only person running a set, set power engine, and that was, of course, Honda. They went into it far too quickly. There was never any real development put in before they brought it onto track. And Honda there was a failure. You can't say it wasn't a failure. It was. The reliability was terrible. But then, of course, Red Bull have taken advantage of that. And they've gone, we see the improvements, the reliability, and they're making that work for them now. McLaren then decided to jump ship a little too early and jump to Renault. Renault arguably is no faster than a Honda power engine in a straight line, and they're not really seeing any benefit from it. And again, they're not the works car. So I think realistically, they've just shot themselves in the foot for the last kind of eight to ten years. And now they're going to go straight back to Mercedes. I think it's a great decision to go to Mercedes. Realistically, unless they find a power supply outside of Formula One now that can guarantee a fast engine, they may as well go for what is the best overall power unit, that is Mercedes. Ferrari the fast in a straight line, but we know that Mercedes is reliable, we know it's fast, and we know it got great, it's got great acceleration as well. What really throws up the interesting point on this is, there are rumours that Mercedes will be leaving the sport in the next few years to focus on more reliable technology and to go maybe down the Formula E route to focus on it. That then leaves McLaren as the number one uh, Mercedes-focused team, because they are still in front of Racing Point and Williams, the other two cars going for it, so they have the strong focus. And then that also questions what happens to Lewis Hamilton if he wants to stay in the sport, if Mercedes do leave before 2021, 2022. There's a lot that can happen with this, and it throws open a lot of doors for the Mercedes company, not just the racing team. But overall, it's a sensible call for McLaren. I don't think realistically they should have left in the first place until they have known that Honda were good enough to compete consistently in Formula One. Yeah, ultimately, that McLaren and Mercedes partnership has worked so well um for, for decades so they moved away from that i understand the reasons for moving away from it but ultimately they have come full so i can like i can understand that too um yeah this is a really interesting one and i think there's a lot of different elements about this that you can discuss from mclaren's perspective i think it's smart because right now whilst the power units are pretty identical i think this is by far the closest the four power units have been there's not really a lot of difference between them because whilst you can say, okay, Renault and Honda are behind Mercedes and Ferrari, look at Monza. That was Renault's best performance of the season. You know, I don't really realistically think maybe Ferrari have a slight advantage at this point in time. I don't think there's much between the four at all. But of course, what did we see in 2014 when the regulations changed? It was Mercedes a long way clear of everyone else. I think they are perhaps hoping that when the regulations change again in 2021, that Mercedes will reassume that advantage and they will be in a beneficial position, similar to what Williams was back in 2014 and 15, when not, they didn't necessarily have a chassis that was 
up there with Mercedes, but the power unit managed to get them up into the podium positions more often than not. So, yeah, I think it's a wise move from their perspective. Well, yeah. Uh, so I was just going to say the chassis is another key point because McLaren have usually been pretty strong in terms of chassis as well. So maybe they're not just relying on Mercedes for their engine uh, perks, but maybe they're going to learn a little bit in terms of car build as well. Yeah, and I think McLaren are a team on the up. If I had any advice, I would say do not engage in any Alonso rumours or potential of getting him back in the car. I Just leave it alone. Go ahead with Sainz and Norris. You've got a great team there. Work around them. Um, but yeah, I think there's potential for this to work in 2021. And a lot of it does depend on what those regulations are. Is there going to be a hard cost cap? Because if there is, then that just throws everything out into the open. Um, but yeah, smart move. From Mercedes' perspective, as I understand it, um, they had the potential to give Red Bull engines a few years ago. They rejected that. They then had the opportunity to give McLaren engines uh, and then rejected that too on the basis that they were going to be fair to everyone. Um, and now that um, I think Nicky Lauda had some sort of uh, didn't want to give McLaren the engine. So now that it's come about again, that they have actually have actually done it. And Toto believes that it's the right move. Um, I believe the rules are you can't supply more than three teams with the same engine. So which if that is the case, I could be wrong. If that is the case, we know that Williams and McLaren are locked up. So that only leaves one more team, which is either going to be the works Mercedes team or um, the uh, sorry, Racing Point. I forgot their name for a minute. Um, so, yeah, Mercedes or Racing Point. Um, I don't know what Racing Point's contract is with the Mercedes power unit. Um, but, yeah, maybe this does leave us the question of will Mercedes exit Formula One? Um, you know, if there is a cost cap, that does then jeopardize a dominance that they've always had in Formula One, really. Apart from the few years before the hybrid era, if, even if you look back in the 50s, like they've always been very dominant in Formula One. So, yeah, I, I don't think without a cost cap, I don't think McLaren could still compete with Mercedes in the short term. But, yeah, um, I like this move. Yeah, I like it. And I think you're right. That does throw up the conversation because I think that I, I, I'm pretty certain that Racing Point have agreed until 2022 preliminarily. I don't know. Is it? Or are we misreading the rules that the works car can run it and three others can run the engine? Maybe that's something that we're unaware of. And maybe again in the comments, you'll have to let us know um, how that works. But if there's every ch any chance of that happening, then both Williams, McLaren, and of course Mercedes will run that engine. Either Mercedes disappear from the sport and go into Formula E and bike racing as they now featuring more in, or we see something develop for Racing Point and they go into more of a Ferrari relationship or they bring in something else entirely. They've got the money to bring in something. You never know that uh, an American team supplier or maybe something like BMW could step in and resupply the sport again. It's uh, all up in the works for 2021. Yeah, and we'll probably have a bigger discussion about 2021 in the future um, and the regulations and whether they're going to scale back on the initial whole-scale regulations that they had. So, yeah, that... That's a discussion for another day, though. Sam, would you mind getting us out of here? Yeah, of course. Guys, if you have enjoyed the Russian Grand Prix, you've enjoyed what we brought you today, and you've got anything you'd like to say on what we have discussed, then please get down in the comments and let us know. We want to hear what you have to say about it. We love discussing it with you. If you've enjoyed the video, if you've enjoyed the podcast, then please remember to share it, leave a like. You know, all that good stuff. Word of mouth is always so helpful to us. And, of course, subscribe. Stick around for longer because we love having you along. Uh, but in the meantime, I've been Samuel Sage. And I've been Ben Hocking. And remember, keep breaking late. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.